Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So we're starting a series this week and next, just a short series. Um, but we're looking at the, the story, the, actually the movie, um, but it's based on a book um, by uh, Victor Hugo called Les Miserables. And um, somebody might ask you, why are we taking, taking two weeks to talk about a movie? And the reason is it's because this story is filled with the gospel. Through and through, it is a story of grace. It is really um, a great illustration of the gospel. Um, and, and all great stories really reflect the greater story. Um, and that's what the gospel is. The gospel is story. It is not just doctrinal truth. Um, it is really the story. It is God's great story of redeeming the human race. And so all great stories um, reflect that and, and resonate in us because it's part of our story, our story of redemption. And that's why so many of, um, of the great books, the great movies that you see resonate so deeply is because within those stories, we see a little bit of our own story. Uh, one of my favorite movies, The Matrix. Uh, anybody remember that? It's been out quite a while now, but um, it, it's a story about a, a, a guy who has come, that there's a whole society that is living under the illusion that they are living life, but they're actually just plugged into the matrix, and this one guy gets freed of the matrix and, and experiences real life, and, and it's really about ki- trying to bring that real life to everybody, that there's a life beyond the shadow of life that we live here on this earth. It's an incredibly powerful story. Um, Lord of the Rings, see that movie. It's filled with the gospel story. Frodo must make this journey into the very depths of the Dark Lord kingdom and destroy his power by destroying this ring. It's a story of redemption. It's a story of hope. Um, the Chronicles of Narnia. It's another one of those. We've seen that movie. Um, Aslan, the lion, lays down his life on the stone tablet to redeem back the rebellious son, Edmund. It's just another one of those great stories. Uh, Dumb and Dumber. Anybody seen the movie Dumb and Dumber? <laughs> There is no gospel in Dumber Dumber, okay? It's just a dumb movie. But most great stories reflect God's greater story. And Les Mis is one of those stories. It is just filled with this message of grace. And the Apostle Paul wrote a lot to all of the different churches around the Mediterranean of his time about this message of grace. He wrote to the Ephesian church these words. If you want to turn there and follow with me, it's in Ephesians chapter 2 which is just really a letter from the Apostle Paul um, to this church. He writes these words. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, remember 
that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called the uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. In verse 19, consequently, you are no longer foreigners, strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household. That's grace. That is the message of the gospel. It's the message of grace. And Victor Hugo, in his book, Les Miserables, so illustrates that story of grace. If you don't know the story, um, actually, if you've not seen the movie, we're actually going to do a showing of it this Friday night at 6.30. I think I told a few people 7 o'clock, so I'm telling you, if you think somebody, talk to somebody and say, I think it's at 7, tell them, no, it's at 6.30, you're going to be walking in late. Um, But I just want you to get to know the story. By the way, it is a musical. The movie is based on the musical adaptation of the story that was written by Victor Hugo. Okay? And I'm telling you that up front because I was talking to a friend. I said, man, it's such a great movie. He goes, ah, there's too much singing. It's a musical. There will be music. Okay? But it's a great, great story. And I really encourage you to be out and and just watch it and just look for the themes that we're going to be talking about the next two weeks. Um, If you haven't seen the movie, you can read the book. It's 950 pages. You might want to see the movie. Um, But it's a great, great story about grace. If you don't know the story, the principal character is a man named Jean Valjean. It comes at at the end of the French Revolution. And Jean Valjean has been a convict. Um, He has spent 19 years in prison for stealing a loaf of bread, which he stole to be able to provide food for his sister's children. But he was caught, he was put in prison, and because of his numerous uh, escape attempts, he ends up spending 19 years of his life, in the prime of his life, 19 years in prison. And the movie comes in just as he is um, being released from prison. And he has to report for probation in a city in northern France. And so he is making his way to that city to report for probation. And he comes to the village of Dean. And the village of Dean, um, he is just looking for a a night's lodging, a place to stay on his journey. And at every turn, because he's got these papers, and every time they look at his papers, they find out he's a convict. No one will give him a place to stay. The innkeeper won't give him a place to stay. Um, The hostelry won't give him a place to stay. He even resorts to trying to sleep in a doghouse, and the dog chases him away. Children pelt him with rocks. He is totally miserable. He is totally wretched. He is totally forsaken. Every door that he knocks on is slammed in his face till he comes to the door of the bishop, Muriel. And for the first time in his life, he experiences a taste of grace. And it comes to him unexpectedly. He's not looking for it. In fact, the truth is he doesn't even want it. But grace comes to Jean Valjean. And that's one of the things about grace. It will catch you by surprise. Grace doesn't come because of your efforts. It doesn't come because of your doing good. It doesn't come because of of your earning it. Grace always comes as a gift. It comes as a surprise. This man, Jean Valjean, has lived a very difficult life. And and when he first, um, when he comes away from uh, the prison and he's making his way, all he finds is rejection. He is just like Paul wrote about 
one deserving of wrath. And that's all that he experiences. But this grace gift comes to him unexpectedly. Paul wrote it this way. We were by nature deserving of wrath. That describes every one of us. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. There's a man who has spent 19 years in prison unjustly. And now on his release, all he experienced is rejection and lack of compassion. And he's a man who's become hard and calloused and bitter. Victor Hugo writes about him this way. He spoke but little. He laughed not at all. From year to year, his soul had dried away slowly. When the heart is dry, the eye is dry. And on his departure from the galleys, he had been, it had been 19 years since he had shed a tear. He was heartened, bitter, angry. And he's rejected until he comes to the door of Bishop Muriel. Now, in the book, the first 60 pages are all about Bishop Muriel. He has become, um, his nickname is um, Monsieur Benvenu, which means Monsignor Welcome. Because of the way that he treats the village people. Um, he comes, he is actually endowed with a palace to live in in the village because of his, his rank as a bishop. But what he does is he sees that the local hospital only has room for 12 beds and is nothing but a small hovel. And he says, I have this great palace for only me and my sister to live in. And all of these beds are filled to overflowing. So one of the things that he does is when he gets to the village, he exchanges his palace for the hospital. And they move the hospital into his palace. And he lives in this little hovel now. He gives away all that he earns except for just enough to live on, to feed the poor, to take care of the needy. He is known as Mr. Welcome in the village. That's the nickname the villagers have given to him. And so when Jean Valjean comes to this door and he knocks on the door, it is the only place where he is given refuge. It is his first taste of grace. And he's not only given a place to stay, he has actually served a meal. And he has served a meal with the finest silver of the house. In fact, it was the only thing of value that, that the Monsignor had kept. Everything else he had given away, but this was family um, heirloom. It had been passed down from generation to generation. It's the only thing of value that he had was this silver set. And yet he brings it out and he serves Jean Valjean with that set of silver. But Jean Valjean is still a hardened man. He's been shown a first taste of grace, but he's not ready for it. He doesn't know um, what to do with it. He doesn't get it. He can't handle it. In fact, it says of him, human society had done him nothing but harm. And in that heart where there had been once a wound, there was a scar, and that was all. He had become so hardened, so scarred over in his life, that he couldn't receive grace. It just it didn't make any sense to him. In fact, he was angry at society. He was angry at God. He felt like everyone had done him wrong. God had done him wrong. And so he is angry. He is hard. He is bitter against everyone. And in the middle of the night, what he does is he wakes up. He goes to the cabinet where that precious silver has been stored. And he empties the cabinet into his sack and sneaks off in the middle of the night, burglarizing and taking the only thing of value the Monsignor had. He's arrested. And he's brought back by the gendarmes to the Monsignor. Watch this video.
We had your silver. We caught this man red-handed. You had the nerve to say you gave him this. That is right. But my friend, you left so early. Surely something slipped your mind. You forgot. I gave these also. Would you leave the best behind? Monsieur, release him. This man has spoken true. I commend you for your duty. Now God's blessing go with you. But remember this, my brother. Seeing this some higher plan. You must use this precious silver to become a lawless man. By the witness of the martyrs, by the passion and the blood, God has raised you out of darkness. I have saved your soul for He's forgiven. He's set free. He experiences grace. He's guilty. But the Monsignor not only frees him, but enriches him. He says, you've taken the silver, but you've left the most expensive part, the dearest part. And he gives him not just the silver, he gives him those silver canisters. The last bit, the last remnant of anything of value he passes on. And see, that's the thing about grace. It catches you by surprise. But it always has a price tag to it. For the bishop, it's the price of that silver. But the truth is, in God's grace, there is a price that was paid for you and me as well. Paul wrote about it this way. He said, in him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins. In accordance with the riches of God's grace. That he lavished on us. God paid a price. So that you could receive this gift of his grace. It comes to us freely. But it has a price. It catches us by surprise. And it's a wonderful gift. But let me warn you about something. One of the things also about grace is. It will assault your pride. It will undo you. See grace is an incredible thing. But when it comes to us, we are faced with a decision. For Jean Valjean now, he has to make a decision about this. What, what the bishop tells him is, I have now purchased your freedom. But I haven't just purchased your freedom. I've purchased your soul now for God. You're going to have to decide. Jean Valjean is free. He's forgiven. He is actually made rich. But now he's left with a choice. And he doesn't know how to handle it. He still can't get his, hand, his, his mind wrapped around this idea. In fact, uh, Victor Hugo writes about him this way. He was conscious of a sort of rage. He did not know against whom it was directed. He could not have told whether he was touched or humiliated. He would have preferred to be in prison with the gendarmes and that things should not have happened in this way. It would have agitated him less. 
See, grace will do that. It'll agitate you. It's humbling. Because to receive grace, you have to admit that you need it. There's another principal character in the story. His name is Javert. Javert is a police inspector. And he is on the hunt for Jean Jean Valjean. In fact, uh, because he never reported for his parole, he is a wanted man. And it is Javert's job to hunt him down and bring him to justice. Now, Javert is a very interesting guy because he is very moral. He is very upright. In fact, justice and truth and obedience, that, those are his code words. That is what he lives by. And he prides himself on, on what a good person he is and how he brings the criminal to justice. And there is a point in the story where grace comes to Javert as well. But he can't handle it because he doesn't think he needs grace. See, it's easy to see the need for grace in someone like Jean Valjean, who is a convict, who is a prisoner, who is a a no good. It's easy to look at someone like that and say, yeah, they need grace. And the trouble is most of us are more like Javert. Yeah, I got a few faults. Yeah, I don't quite have it all together. I'm not perfect, but I'm pretty good. (laughs) And Javert can't handle the idea of grace either. Because you see, for grace to redeem you, it has to undo you first. It has to undo you of your pride, your self-righteousness, your judgmentalism. Because to truly become a recipient of grace, you have to admit that you need it. Interesting thing about Javert is the reason that he is so morally upright is he was born in a prison. His father was a convict. His mother was a, a gypsy fortune teller. And he has determined to live his life and make himself a better person than his parents. And that's why he is such a a moral, upstanding person. And he thinks of himself that way. His His whole life hung on these two words, watchfulness and supervision. He covered with scorn, aversion, and disgust everyone who had crossed the legal threshold of evil. He was absolute and admitted no exceptions. And in the movie, he comes to this point in which he is wrestling with this idea of of grace because he is right. He has always been on God's side. He sees his his pursuit of justice in people as, as a divine calling. And when he gets faced with this idea of grace, he cannot possibly see how anyone could ever receive forgiveness. If you've fallen, you've fallen, and there is no hope for you. And there is a song that Javert sings. And if you watch this scene, he walks on a precipice. He walks on the walls of this huge building. And and, and, and just visually, he 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 is tossed with this idea of justice and grace, condemnation and mercy. And he can't get a handle on it. Watch this clip. Thank you. 
flame, the sword. There is no hope for you. That's Javert's credo. And he has made himself morally upright and superior to everyone else because he thinks he's on the side of God. Paul wrote, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works. So no one can boast. Grace will be unsettling. Grace will have to destroy your pride, your self-righteousness, your superiority before it can redeem you for life. And I wonder if you've done that. You've ever come to the point to admit, you know, I will never be good enough. All of my efforts will always come short. Grace will be a constant assault on your pride. Paul wrote this. He said, remember. This is important. Remember, at that time you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope, without God in the world. You will never be too good for grace. (laughs) And you will never outlive your need for grace. And Paul says, never forget that. You are not where you are with God because of your efforts. This is where you were. You needed grace. Grace will surprise you. Grace will undo you. And grace will make you better than you want to be. (laughs) 
Grace not only redeems our lives, grace reshapes our lives. The grace of the candlesticks shown to Jean Valjean stays with him for the rest of his life. It becomes pivotal to his life. It is the turning moment for him. And he remembers the bishop's words. The bishop's words, these are great. I I love this. It's in the book. It's not in the movie. It should have been in the movie. Do not forget, he says, never forget that you have promised to use this money in becoming an honest man. And here's the line I love. Jean Valjean, who had no recollection of ever having promised anything, remained speechless. I didn't know I made that promise. (laughs) See, grace will make you better than you want to be. Throughout the book, you find Jean Valjean reflecting on that act of grace shown him by the bishop. And it becomes life-changing for him. And not because he is doing some kind of penance, not because he's trying to make up for his past. It is a response to grace. In the book, you find it over and over and again that he, is, he reflects on becoming the person that the bishop wanted him to be. In the movie, in fact, if you come Friday night, if you watch the movie, watch how often these candlesticks show up and where candlesticks show up in the movie. It is a visual reminder of the need for grace throughout the whole movie. I don't know if you saw it at the front of the clip there um, for Javert. He starts with these candlesticks and he walks out into the darkness as he ponders on the wall. Those candlesticks represent the light of grace. And grace begins to shape you. That one act of grace becomes life-changing for him, not because he's doing penance. Victor Hugo writes, he was a totally different man. What the bishop had wished to make him, that he carried out. It was more than a transformation. It was a transfiguration. It changed his life. And that's the thing about grace. It's not something that you keep to yourself. It must be passed on to others. That's what Paul wrote. He said, we are now God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. When we talk about becoming a church that changes the way people view the church, that's what we're talking about. That people would see in our lives grace. That in our interactions with people, they would experience grace. When we do something like the dollar club, we help a family in need, we reach out with the bread of life. Whatever it is that we do, it should be expressions of grace. Not because we are earning our way with God, but because we are responding to this gift that he has given to us. This incredible gift of grace. And grace will change the way you are. It will make you better than you want to be. The message paraphrase puts it this way. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does, the good work he has gotten ready for us to do, the work we had better be doing. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.